I want to welcome you into the Sunday preaching podcast of the Point Church located in beautiful Perdido Key, Florida. I'm Tim Coleman, the senior pastor, and we believe strongly in the expositional preaching of God's Word that builds our faith and grows us up in Christ. I'm glad you're either downloading the sermon or listening live to our service, and I pray that this message is a help to you on your journey of faith. Now join me as we get to the point. Uh, grab your Bible. You do that? Let's get into the Scriptures today. I talked to a couple of uh, uh, folks in the first service today. We had seven or eight different first-time guests, families, and so forth. Uh, just walked in, and hey, what's this church like? And uh, it was a great opportunity for me to say that at the Point Church, we have a very high view of Scripture. Uh, we believe the Bible is the Word of God. We believe uh, all of those verses, all that black and white print in there, uh, between Genesis and the book of Revelation. We believe it all. Uh, we don't believe there's any mistakes in here. And so we just stand on the Bible. One of the things we do is that every week we open up God's Word and we study it. And we study different portions uh, from the New Testament. We study portions from the Old Testament. And you happen uh, to come and visit us today in a New Testament series. Uh, we're studying through the book of Joshua in a series entitled, God's faithfulness and our obedience. Will you say that with me? God's and our, one more time, God's faithfulness and our obedience. We finished the first three chapters. Last week, we made it through chapter three at this very, very important moment, an awesome, unbelievable uh, miracle that only God could do. As he parted the Jordan River, and the nation of Israel passed over on dry land. Somewhere between one and two million people crossed over on completely dry ground. Only God could do that. Last week, we looked at the God of complexity as he uh, parted the waters. Today, in chapter 4, I've simply entitled it, The Goodness of God. The Goodness of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 27 in verse 13, I believe, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. British scholar G.K. Chesterton said, you've heard me say it from this pulpit, that the world is always wobbling. Anybody noticed right now the world is wobbling? There's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of things that capture our attention. There are a lot of things that put some great big question marks in our minds and in our hearts. And as we look around us at our families and the church and the community and the world as it is wobbling, it is certain easy, it's certainly very easy to put our eyes on the world and its problems and all of the situations and to not put our eyes on the goodness of the Lord. Here in Joshua chapter 4, uh, there is a memorial down in verse number 7. I'll read it for you in just a minute where God tells his people to take some stones out of the Jordan River, and when you get to Gilgal, set those stones up as a remembrance of the goodness of God and the mighty, mighty acts by his hand. I've been to Washington, D.C., and many of you have, and I've walked around and I have visited many of the memorials that are there. I've stood at the war memorials and certainly have been touched by reading the names of men and women who have given their lives uh, for our country. A memorial is typically something uh, that is placed to remember someone that has passed away or uh, to remember an event. I've been to New York City a couple of times, and I have gone uh, to the 9-11 Museum, and I've stood there, uh, looked at that fountain uh, where the Twin Towers stood in 2001, as that horrific day for our country, and I read all of the names that have passed away that day, and think of all the heroes that gave their life uh, in order to save some. If they would not have done what they, what they did, 
uh, there would have been more names even upon uh, that memorial. And so we think of a memorial as something in the past that, that we want to remember or we don't want to let it fade from our mind. I want you to think of the memorial here in Joshua chapter 4 as not only a, a stack of stones to remember what God did, but the primary purpose of this memorial was for the future to remember what God has done, but also to remember his faithfulness and to remember what he will do. Let's look in the text, jump into it real quick, Joshua chapter 4, and we look at this memorial as uh, centered around the theme of the goodness of God and his faithfulness to his people. I have three simple statements to make in chapter 4. I'm going to spend more time on the first one than the other two, but I believe they are so important for us today as we think about his goodness in our lives and then how we respond uh, to his goodness by being obedient in what he has called us to do. Let's look in Joshua chapter 4, verse number 1, as the first thing we see is this challenge to remember to remember. Remember to remember. The text says, when all the nation had finished Passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed a man from each tribe, and Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones, here it is, shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever, a remembrance forever. Verse 8, the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. They took up the 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord told Joshua and they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua the people passed over in haste. God says to his people, I want you to take some stones after this mighty miracle. I want you to take some stones out of the Jordan, take them over to the bank. We'll see in just a minute. It's in the area of Gilgal. And I want you to erect these stones. These stones are a remembrance. When your children pass by those stones, I want you to say to them, those stones have been placed there for us to remember, to never forget the power, the awesome power, and the mighty hand of God. This will be a memorial forever. When people look at those stones, I want them to think, God was faithful then, and he will be faithful now. It is a challenge to remember, remember to remember. Is there anybody in the room that lately has found yourself challenged to remember? Man, that's the most hands I've gotten in a service in a while. I was sitting on my back porch with my wife and Candace Reiner uh, Thursday night. We were had a little fire going on the back porch, and they started telling me this story from 10 years ago probably, and I was in the story, and they were telling me all the details of the story and what I did in the story, and what time of night it was in the story. And folks, I'm telling you before God, I do not remember 
any of that at all. No, 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 you don't remember. No, I don't remember. It's, I don't know why. I don't know if I should be happy about that or scared that I can't remember. We are all forgetful people, right? And God knew the creator who wired us and created us, who created his children, who made covenant with them and loved them in spite of themselves. He knew that they would have a tendency to forget what he had done for them. I was reading the other day about taking pictures. I remember back as a kid when my grandmother, uh, Mildred Payne, when she bought a Polaroid camera, I thought that was the coolest thing that had ever been. Do y'all remember, some of you that are a little bit older, do y'all remember those little bulbs that you bought? Uh, they were in a little stack of bulbs, and they were uh, many times blue, and then you would stick that bulb in that Polaroid camera, and when you pushed the button, you didn't know if that bulb was going to explode or, or uh, do its job or what. You'd go through those bulbs pretty quickly. And I remember my, my nanny, we called her nanny, she would take a picture with that Polaroid, and then it would come out, and we'd run over and turn a lamp on and hold that uh, picture up under that lamp so the light, you know, would make it develop. And then all of these young people over here have no idea what I'm fixing to say, but but some of you will relate to this. I remember when they came out with a camera that you put film in. And then you would take all of those pictures and you'd snap that last one and you weren't sure if you had one more left or if that was the last one. And then you'd hear that thing wind a little bit and you knew you could open it up, take that roll of film out, put it in a little cylinder and uh, take it down to the film. See, these young people are looking at me like I'm a space alien. You had to take those pictures down there, and when you went, you didn't know how busy they were. You might not get your pictures for a week or longer, uh, and then finally they would develop them. You'd get them back, and you'd flip through them. How, how many of you got picture albums at your house, right? Well, things have kind of changed now, right? I mean, we, now we carry our pictures in our pocket. We carry our pictures in our pocket because now we have a camera, on our phone. And let me just throw this out there just for a warning. You better be on your best behavior at all times or you may go viral with a picture or a video. And that familiarity, studies are saying now, that familiarity is a good thing, but it's also a bad thing. I was reading an article this week about what smartphone photography is doing to our memories 77% of Americans have a smartphone in their pocket, and scientists say that, that taking so many pictures, it actually diminishes our ability to recall our experiences. Cameras actually divert our full attention. And the article I read said one or the first step to a lasting memory is to pay attention, to pay attention. And so a phone, a camera phone, they say, is actually a distraction. Let me illustrate it. The article said that a group of a few hundred people were sent through uh, the Stanford Memorial Church in Stanford, California on a tour, and half the people were told, take your phone with you and uh, take pictures. Pay attention to uh, the uh, mural of Jesus and the cross and the angels and other things that were in the church. The other half of the group were told to just walk through it and with the naked eye, pay attention uh, to the details. And so a week later, all of those folks were given a test about what they saw and the group that did not take their phone with them scored higher than the phone people. Now, what, what do they conclude from that? Well, they just simply conclude uh, that many people have their brain in their pocket and they're not using their brain to make memories. I want to point one more thing in that article. New York University uh, professor Alexandria Barracks said, photos are increasing visual memories, but it doesn't come without a cost. The cost is our attention. Our attention. Here it is. What gets ignored does not get remembered. What gets ignored does not get remembered. 
I don't know about you, but in this world, there is so much grabbing for my mind and my attention. There's so much grabbing my thought process. If I'm not careful, I will fall into the trap of not intentionally, but yet willfully ignoring what God has said, ignoring what God has done, ignoring what God has promised. And instead of remembering those things and living in those things, I find myself with a diminished faith, with a confused mind, and with my eyes on circumstances and not on the Savior. Can anybody relate to that? There's a challenge. Watch. The challenge here is that God has always and he always will want his people to remember, to remember. Why do we need to remember? I'll tell you why. Because when we find ourselves in certain situations, what a blessing and an encouragement, what strength that it brings to remember what God has said. Let me illustrate it. You have watched, like me, these last few days in absolute horror and sadness to what is happening in the country of Ukraine. You do know there are there is a large population of Christians in Ukraine. There are seminaries. There are pastors that I have read about that have loaded their families up in the car and driven them to the border of Poland, dropped them off, hugged their wife, kissed their kids on the cheek, and said goodbye to go back home because they believe that God has called them to pastor and shepherd the flock in the good times and the bad times. That moves me. It moves me. You've seen, some of you have seen some videos that have come out from the Christian community. There's one that I saw the other day that moved me so deeply. There's a group of Christians that were gathered in a house and they were all standing up around the room together, and they were singing. No, I, I could not understand the words they were saying, but I fully understood the tune to the song that they were singing. It's the same song that you and I sing here at The Point from time to time that goes like this, when I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, Christ will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. What are those Ukrainian Christians doing right now? Can we kind of, for just a minute, admit that singing that song in this room is totally different than singing it in Kiev right now? as the Christians take communion together, and they know, they know that at any second their life could be snuffed out, and yet they know what God has said, and they are remembering the words of our Lord that no matter what comes our way, I will never leave you or forsake you. And there is a faith, a Christian faith in their hearts and in their minds that they know the worst thing that could happen to them would be that they wake up in the presence of Jesus. Why is it important to remember? I'll tell you why. Because we're going to find ourselves maybe not in Kiev, Ukraine today, but we're going to find ourselves at some difficult junctures in the road. We're going to find ourselves, as I said a few minutes ago, along that winding road. And as we find ourselves in, in a variety of situations and and in a, in a variety of pressures and, and decisions that we need to make, that we must remember, we must remind ourselves and speak to ourselves and our families and those that are around us that we are called, regardless of what is going on, we are called to be obedient while we know that our God is faithful. God is faithful. And so he calls us to Obedience. Now, now, hear me just a minute. I think this is so important. 
remembering in the Bible is not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion. So, for example, we might say to one another, hey, don't, now don't forget to put some gas in the car, right? I mean, we know if you don't take that warning, you're going to be on the side of the road, right? Hey, don't forget to take your medicine. Don't forget to take the trash out. I hear that a lot at our house. So, so we use that word remember, don't forget, and, and it's not like, you know, that word is like everything's set in stone, right? It's kind of like it's a, a friendly reminder. But in the Old Testament, when God talked about remembering and not forgetting, uh, it, it's very important to him. As a matter of fact, I want to show you how important it is. We look at the Old Testament, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and we look at the book of Deuteronomy as being the book of the law. Can we all agree today that we do not read that book and think of it as suggestions from God? Can we agree on that? That it's the book of the law. This is what God wants, and this is the way he wants his people to behave. Now, I'm going to take just a minute because I think it's important in this particular juncture to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 with you I'm not going to preach through it. I'm just going to read it to you because this chapter speaks for itself. Put yourself in real time. The children of Israel are going to make it to the other side of the Jordan River. God says, you build a memorial there. Now they're moving forward, right? They're not going back. They're moving into the promised land. The the conquest is going to begin. Victory is already theirs. They know they're going to enjoy in just a short time a land that flows with milk and honey. And when we get to the point of God's blessings, when his blessings are being poured out on us, there is a tendency to forget what he has called us to. So notice Deuteronomy chapter 8, the header in my Bible is remember the Lord your God. Notice what it says, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. There it is, obedience, obedience. This is not a suggestion. You be careful to do this that you may live and multiply. Go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Verse two, and you shall, what's the word? You shall, come on, say it with me. Remember the whole way that the Lord, your God, has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. You recognize that verse? Deuteronomy 8, 3, where's that from? Matthew chapter 4, when Satan was tempting Jesus on the Mount of Temptation, Jesus quoted this verse. If Jesus quoted this verse, it's an important verse. Verse four, your clothing did not wear out on you. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and by fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines, fig trees, pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you shall, or you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. You shall eat and be full. You shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. Look, verse number 11 All of those blessings, you're going to enjoy this, but you're going to have a tendency to do this. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and you've built good houses and you live in them, When your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you do what? Say it with me, church, on the screen. What do you do? You forget. You forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, 
out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your hearts, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Here it is. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, Point Church, let me ask you today, did God make it very clear? Did, did he make it very clear where their blessings were coming from? Okay. So, so the glory here is not for the people. The glory here is not for Joshua. The glory is the glory and honor of our God, that he is faithful when we are not. For 40 years, he said, you didn't even have an ingrown toenail. That's what he said there in the passage. You didn't have any foot issues. Your shoes didn't wear out. Your clothes didn't wear out. At those moments when you were desperate for food, I just dropped you manna from heaven. I took care of you when you could not take care of yourself. Now, when you get into that land and you're eating those pomegranates, man, there's nothing like a fresh glass of pomegranate juice in Israel, I'm telling you. There's nothing like honey from Israel. Good stuff. When you get in that land and you're enjoying all my blessings, I'm going to tell you what you knuckleheads are going to do. That's really what God's saying here. Because I'm going to show you in a minute that's what they did. They become self-sufficient. Oh, we've got it made. Look at all that we have. You know what? I think I'm going to try this God over here. You know, Jehovah God, our covenant God, man, it's been good. But, you know, I'm going to give this other stuff some try over here. And they forgot where their blessings came from. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There's not a land in the world. There is not a land in the world that has been more blessed than our country and our land. I'm telling you right now in this room, we got too much stuff. We all do. We got too much stuff. If you don't believe you've got too much stuff, just move. <laughs> just move. Steve, I see you over there nodding your head. Just move. When you move, the thrift store can't handle all your stuff. If we all moved at once, the thrift stores couldn't handle it. Because we, listen, this, we're laughing, but hear me just a minute. We live in excess. We have the most and the best of anybody in the world. And you know what? God wanted me to tell you today, there's not one self-made man or woman in this room that every blessing you have, every good thing that you have in your life, it didn't come from you. It came from God. God. And we, need, we, we must not forget that. We must not forget that. We must remember that every good gift and every perfect gift comes down from the Father above. It is, it is important for us to live that way every day for a variety of reasons, but this text focuses in on a very important reason. And that is generational commitment and devotion to our covenant God. Now, hear me, families, hear me. Parents, it's important for us to live out our faith for us individually, for me individually. But it's also important for me to do that to train my children and those coming behind me what it means to be faithful to God. God said, I want you to set those stones up so that one day when a family is walking through the Gilgal National Park and there's a child there that says, you know, were there some kids playing there? Dad, who stacked those stones up? Why are those stones there? 
Notice those stones are not to remember someone who drowned or died in the river. Those stones are there to say, God did it, and he'll do it again. And son, the same God that we serve today, right now, that part of the Jordan River, he is with us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. There is a challenge today in every local expression of the New Testament church to remember that church is not about us, it's about him and his glory. At the same time, there is a challenge to every church to pass down generationally to those who are coming behind us a devotion not to our preferences, but to our God. When I'm focused on discipleship, of the future generation, it will make me less concerned about my personal preferences and everyone making me happy. I'll be more consumed with telling the old, old story and sharing of the goodness of God. That song that I read the words to you a minute ago, on into that song, it says, as I look back over my life and I look to the old familiar markers. Can you think back in your mind just right now? Let's do a little exercise. Can you think back in your mind to those old familiar markers where God showed up and God blessed you in a great way? You ought to at least go back to when you got saved. That ought to at least make you smile, get a little happy or something. God's been good. God saved me when I was 13 years old. God blessed me. Misty and I are coming up on 30 years here in a couple weeks that we've been married. God placed her in my life through a series of events. I don't even have time to tell you how, but God placed her in my life, a blessing. God has been my provider. God has been my help. He has met my every need along the way. He's been faithful. Those old familiar markers, you know what? Our children and our grandchildren need to hear those stories. We need to grab those precious little cheeks. I have to do that to Lexi every now and then to get her to really give me her attention, right? And then say, baby, let me tell you how God good, how good God's been to us. Tell you what God's done for us, how God's provided for us. That's what those stones are about. A memory, a memory. Now watch as we move forward in our Christian journey, as we walk into this week, God wanted me to challenge you to remember, to remember. Remember. Real quickly, as you think back to the first celebration of the Passover, we'll see that in just a minute later in the text. What's the point of the Passover? To remember, right? To remember the days of slavery and God's deliverance. What's the point of the Feast of the Weeks? The point of the Feast of the Weeks that the Jewish people celebrate is to remember that the harvest is not because they have good fertilizer. It's to remember that God gave them the harvest. The Feast of the Booze is for them to remember, hey, in the wilderness, God provided shade and he provided covering. Why do we celebrate Christmas, church, in December? It's to remember the incarnation of Christ, that God came to us, Jesus came to us and dwelt among us. Here in just a, a few weeks, we're getting closer to Easter. Why do we celebrate Easter? To remember that our Lord and Savior died on the cross and shed his blood, and he was buried in that tomb, but he didn't stay there because three days later, he rose from the grave, and we remember the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why do we, as a church, as a body, when we come together, why do we gather around the Lord's table once a month? Why do we do that? Jesus said, do this, do this in remembrance of me. Why do we need to do that? This is so important. Why do we need to go through that act, that memorial, that remember? Why do we take that wafer and drink of the juice? Why is that so vital? I love what Del Ralph Davis said. He asked the question, why this remembrance? Why do we do this? Look on the screen he said, lest we begin to regard the cross as a piece of furniture rather than the throne of the shepherd who soaked up the wrath of God for the sins of his flock. 
In other words, the cross is not just something that you put on the mantle or hang on the wall or carry in your pocket as a good luck charm, but we look to the cross not as a piece of furniture, but as a place where we remember the Lamb of God, the Son of God, hung and he suffered pain and agony and he bled and died as he took the wrath of God upon himself for our sins. That's what the cross means to us today, church, amen? Jesus died, and we need to remember. We need to remember. So verses 1 through 10, I got to hasten on. The challenge is remember to remember. But notice in verse 11, the second thing that we see about the goodness of God, and this is more about our response to his goodness. The second thing we see is that we need to recognize God's place for you. Recognize God's place for you. Now, look at me. Eyes up here just a minute. Could we agree for just a minute, if you believe you've been saved and you're a part of the family of God, can we agree we believe that everyone has a place in the kingdom? Everyone has a place. Well, pastor, I'm not very smart. I'm not very educated. I don't speak very well. You sound just like Moses, great hero of the faith, right? And so we want to exhibit humility. You know, we don't want to have a prideful attitude that how blessed God is to have us on his team. We want to have a humble attitude, but we don't want to have a fake humility. We want to have a genuine humility. At the same time, we want to recognize that we are all called to a place of service in the kingdom. Now, now notice there'll be a, a, a refreshing here in verses 11 and 12. Look in the text. When all the people had finished passing over, the ark of the Lord, the priest passed over before the temple. Verse 12, the sons of Reuben, the sons of Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they passed over armed before the people of Israel as Moses had told them. Do y'all remember that from uh, chapter 1? How many remember that? We we said, uh, I think it's verse uh, 10 through 18, Joshua had to get everybody together. The Gadites, Reubenites, half-tribe Manasseh said, no, we're going to stay over here. We're not going over. We're not going to fight. We got our spot. The grass is good. We like it over here. See ya. Moses had already said to them, no, no, you're not going to do that because we're a family. We're going to do this together. So Joshua in chapter 1 said to this group, hey, remember what you told Moses? It's go time now. Are you going to keep your word? Are you going to be in the place that you said you would be? And praise God, here they are. They're leading the way. They're first to cross. Who else is in their place? Verse 13, about 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. And on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. They stood in awe of him just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. The Lord said to Joshua, command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. Joshua commanded the priests, come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came from the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The two and a half tribes are in their place. The 40,000 are in their place. You know why? Because we're inching our way. We're in preparation time, but we're inching our way to chapter 6, where it's on, where the battle begins. But notice in verse number 14, this is the moment in God's choosing in his sovereignty that he exalts Joshua. He kind of puts Joshua in his he validates Joshua. Now, again, you've heard me say this, and I don't want to re-preach what I've already preached, but you just got to feel it for Joshua having to follow Moses. And here, Moses, oh, Moses wouldn't have done that. Moses this, Moses that. Well, you're no Moses. And so Joshua's there, and I love this, I love this, I love it. You know, God only calls us to be us. Boy, some of you need that right now. Some of you need that right now. God doesn't call you to be somebody else. God calls you to be you. Hey, relax. Just be you. Just be you. Napoleon Bonaparte, I was reading the other day, a little bit of a comparison with Joshua. Napoleon Bonaparte I grew up in an impoverished environment. We know Joshua grew up 
in Egypt, right? He grew up in Egypt in slavery. And so uh, Napoleon Bonaparte grew up in an impoverished family. As a child, he was, he was small in stature. He was uh, very sick and very frail, uh, frail. but something, something happened in him, right? Uh, Paul Anderson, the great uh, writer biographer, said that apart from Jesus Christ, there is no man that has been written about more than Napoleon Bonaparte. And so as you study his life, what you find out is at an early age, he developed this, this ego, uh, this craving and a desire to be somebody, and that's the way he lived his life. He was always aspiring for power. He wanted to be in control. And he, of course, destroyed the 860,000 soldiers in the French army. Uh, he did some good things in his life. He's known for accomplishing some things that no one else had accomplished in his time. Uh, he was able to, to, to rule about, I think, 80 million people and half a continent. And so Napoleon accomplished some things, but the whole time he was doing it, he was so full of himself. He drove people away. He was arrogant. He was egotistical. He aspired for fame and fortune. And at the end of his life, he found himself on an island lonely and isolated because of his pride and his ego. I give you that little story about him to compare it to a man named Joshua, who nowhere in the Bible do you find Joshua aspiring to be somebody. Nowhere do you find him on an ego trip. Joshua, a great leader. Some even compare him and say, maybe a greater leader than Moses. What you find Joshua doing is this craving and desire, not for significance, but obedience. I just want to do whatever it is God asked me to do one step at a time. You know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 7, where the Scripture says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you. It's not necessary for us to exalt ourselves. It says, he will exalt you in due time. So here's Joshua. He's been faithful as an understudy of Moses. He's following the Lord one step at a time. And now in Joshua 4, verse 14, it says that God exalts him in the sight of all Israel. God validated him. Please hear me today, Christian. If you're living the Christian life seeking validation, your eyes are in the wrong place. Live your Christian life in obedience to God, and he'll take care of the validation. He validates Joshua. Joshua's in his place. Now watch, the goodness of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord should draw us to recognize that we have a place. I've got to ask you today, Christian. Have you identified your place, and are you in your place in the kingdom? If you agree with me that you have a place, I hope you're occupying it, and you're doing whatever it is that God has called you to do. Can I get a witness in the house? Just be obedient. Just be obedient. And you'll see God's goodness and his blessings. Let me wrap up. Some of y'all been waiting for the last point since I started. In verse 19, through the end of the chapter, another good reminder to relay the memories. Relay the memories of what God has done. Relay the memories of his goodness. Notice verse 19. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Anybody see any significance in that? 40 years to the day of the Passover. 40 years to the day. They come up out of the Jordan, and they're in the promised land. Keep going. They encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those 12 stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the people, when your children ask their fathers in the times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until 
you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. The paragraph ends with it. As soon as all the kings of the Amorites who were born beyond the Jordan of the west, all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea, heard that the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan for the people of Israel until they had crossed over, their hearts melted, and there was no longer any spirit in them because of the people of Israel. And when I read that, I thought about my daddy coming home from work knowing that I was going to get the Board of Education applied to the seat of learning. Can anybody relate to that? They knew what was coming. They knew, they knew it. They had heard about all these miracles. I mean, the news is spreading. The enemy's hearing. Watch. The challenge here is that people out there are hearing. Let's make sure that those that are closest to us hear. Remind them. Remind them. Remind them. Relay those memories. Now, I got to give you this, and then I'm going to close. What I want you to see is that they encamp. Here's Jericho. I didn't put my map up. I had last Sunday. Here's Jericho. Over here to the east of Jericho is Gilgal. Gilgal is the place where the stones are erected, the place where they camp out here to remember the mighty acts of God. But you know what unfortunately happened? This is your assignment. Read Hosea chapter 4, chapter 9, chapter 12. Read Amos chapter 4, Amos chapter 5. You'll find these statements. You'll find that Gilgal became a place of sacrifice to other gods. I'm not talking about from the enemy. I'm talking about from God's people. The people who erected the stones ended up sacrificing animals there to other gods. Hosea chapter 12, or Hosea chapter 9, verse 15, every evil of theirs, speaking of God's people, every evil of theirs is in Gilgal, there I began to hate them. Uh, Hosea chapter 12, verse number 11, in Gilgal, they sacrifice bulls. Their altars are like stone heaps on the fears of the field. Now watch this. I have no way of knowing this. I don't want to eisegete and read into the Bible. I don't know this to be a fact, but I know the Bible says the stone heaps became the place where they sacrificed bulls to other gods I don't know that this memorial, these stones were not used for sacrifice to other gods. So what in the world happened, church? This is a great moment. We remember the works of God. Fast forward decades. Now in the same area, we are sacrificing to other gods. I was up in uh, Montreal, Canada a couple years ago in October. It was cold, by the way. So we were doing a survey trip for uh, planning a church in that area. We went to a particular town of about 50,000 people, and so I'm sitting in the van. We're riding around, and we pull up, and we pull into a parking place, and I felt like I was pulling up to church, you know? And I looked up in front of me, and here's a, here's a brick building. Over to the left is a, like an education wing. And I look, and I and I, it just took me a minute to, to look through the windows and to realize what I was looking at. I was looking at the town library. Because what had happened is the evangelical Bible-believing church had gone out of business in this town. They didn't know what to do with the building, so they sold it to the city, and now it was the town library. A place that was built, erected as a house of worship to God Almighty is now vacated, used for a good thing, but not what it was built for originally. I traveled all over Canada, or at least the eastern side there, and hear me, I saw church after church after church after church that nobody even walks into on a Sunday. Nobody cares about the building. Nobody's worshiping there. You know why? Because that culture has lost its way. 
when it comes to the God of the Bible and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross. I'm going to tell you something. That same thing is already here, and it's only going to get worse. I'm not trying to be doom and gloom. I'm telling you the facts. Our culture is becoming more secular. Our culture is getting further away from God, further away from God. And it's not time for the church to blend in. It's time for the church to stand out with the love and the grace and the mercy of the Lord and to boldly proclaim we are Jesus people. And the world needs Jesus. And we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ And some of you that are maybe, let's say, 60 and older in the room, please hear me. I don't know of anybody like this in this church, so I'm not preaching at anybody. Some of the sweetest people I've ever met in my whole life are in this church. But I want to ask the 60 and older group in our church to lose a mentality of thinking about yourself and think about who's coming behind you. And then pour your life out. Give your life away. Give your time away. Because 20 years from now, by God's grace, we still want to see believers right here gathering around the table. Are y'all with me? Gathering around the table to remember the death of our Lord, to remember the cross. We still want to see people being baptized and coming into the kingdom and the word of God being declared here. If that's going to happen, we've got to remember our place, or recognize the place God has for us, and then we've got to relay the memories of all that God has done and all that God wants to do. Would you stand with me? There was a, there was a boy that was in the grocery store with his mama, Y'all would just hold on one second, guys. Just stay right there one second. They'll be watching you instead of listening to me. There was a boy that went to the grocery store with his mama, and the owner of the grocery store, as they were checking out, he was running the register, and he reached over and he grabbed a jar of candy, and he held it out to the little boy, and he said, son, get you, get you a handful of candy. And the little boy just stood there and looked at him. And the grocery store owner he thought maybe he needed to get the jar a little closer. So he held it out a little bit further toward the boy. And he said, son, get you a handful of candy. And the little boy just stood there and looked at him. And he said, I, I want you to give it to me. He said, okay. So the store owner reached down in the jar and grabbed a handful of that candy and gave it to the little boy. And his mom was a little bit puzzled why he didn't reach in there and get his own candy. And so they went out and they got in the car. And the mom said to the little boy, son, um, why did, why did you do that? Why didn't you just reach in there and get your own candy? Why did you say, I want you to give it to me? And the little boy said, Mom, his hands were bigger than mine. <laughs> That's a smart kid, isn't it? The smart kid. The passage that I just read for you says, the hand of the Lord is mighty. The hand of the Lord is mighty. His hands are bigger than ours. And in his hands is goodness and mercy and grace. Oh, may we live in that. Would you bow your head with me?